from the Heidelberg Catechism. Let's read together Lord's Day 51. What is the fifth petition? And forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. That is, for the sake of Christ's blood, do not impute to us wretched sinners any of our transgressions, nor the evil which still clings to us, as we also find this evidence of your grace in us, that we're fully determined wholeheartedly to forgive our neighbor. Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, are you a forgiving person? Or do you find it hard to show mercy and kindness when someone has sinned against you? At times, it's not too difficult to forgive. The hurt caused was minor. The person who acted against me didn't do so intentionally, or perhaps they didn't realize what they were doing. And so at times, we may freely forgive those who have offended against us. But what about those situations where the hurt done was great what if a family member or close friend betrayed your trust what if our heart is filled with anger or bitterness because we feel like someone else has destroyed our life in such circumstances are we willing to forgive at times it's really difficult to forgive others for how they have sinned against us Another person's sin may have caused us deep distress or incredible hardship. Our heart is turned against that person. Ponder, beloved, for a moment on how hard it can be to forgive in certain situations. Now consider your own life in relation to God. Consider the many and varied ways in which you offend God with your sins. The Bible talks about how at times God is deeply grieved by the sins of his people. It talks about how our sins can also cause his anger to burn against us. Beloved, you deserve to be forgiven for your sins. We don't, do we? Psalm 130 says, If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? And in Romans 3, Paul writes, No one is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Yet despite our great sinfulness, God forgives. It's called grace. In Christ, because of his blood shed on the cross, God no longer counts our sins against us. In the Lord's Prayer, Jesus teaches us to pray for the forgiveness of our sins. Each day again, we're taught to call on our Father in heaven, laying our needs before the throne of grace, 
We're taught to pray, Father, forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. There's two parts to this prayer. In the first part, we're praying for God's grace in no longer holding our sins against us. In the second part, we're praying for God's grace to forgive our neighbor as God forgives us. As people who sin and as people who are sinned against, we need to pray this prayer. I preach you the word of God under the following theme. Christ teaches us to pray to our Father for forgiveness. In this petition, we pray for God to show us steadfast love, for God to work in us softened hearts, and for God to bless us with restored relationships. We read together this afternoon from Micah 7. Micah was a prophet who lived a little more than 700 years before the birth of Christ. He prophesied in the days leading up to Israel's exile at the hand of the Assyrians. During his time, both Israel and Judah lived in relative wealth and prosperity. Yet all was not well with God's people. And many had departed from the ways of the Lord. There were signs of rising political dissension, of impending wars and coming disasters. Smaller kingdoms were being swallowed up by larger ones like the Assyrians. In the east, the Babylonians and the Chaldeans were becoming powerful. The main point of Micah's prophecy was to bring God's lawsuit against his people. He indicts Samaria, the capital of Israel, and Jerusalem, the capital of Judah, for their sins. He announces the coming of the Lord from out of his holy temple in the heavens. The Lord will be a witness against his people because of their great transgressions and sins. They're guilty of great idolatry, of seizing the property of weaker neighbors, of corrupt business practices, of perverting the judges through bribery, and of using violence to get what they want. Micah 7 is the final chapter of Micah's prophecies. The last verses of this chapter stand in stark contrast to the first. Micah begins with, Woe is me! He writes, The godly has perished from the earth, and there is no one upright among mankind. Yet Micah ends his prophecy with a question. Who is a God like you? He sings God's praises, for the Lord pardons iniquity, passes over transgressions, does not retain his anger forever, but delights in steadfast love. Well, Micah looks at Israel and at himself as part of Israel, he can only feel shame for his sins. Micah acknowledges that he and God's people deserve to come under God's judgment. He says, I will bear the indignation of the Lord because I have sinned against him until he pleads my cause and executes judgment for me. Yet Micah does not leave God's people without comfort or without hope. He calls on the Lord to shepherd his people with his staff. For God's people are the flock of his inheritance. 
Micah speaks of God showing his wondrous works as he did when his people came out of the land of Egypt. Do you know why Micah had consolation in the face of looming exile for both Israel and Judah? It's because he knew of the Lord's character. Micah's name means, who is like Yahweh? That's the question he poses in the final words of his prophecy. He asks, who is a God like you, pardoning iniquity and passing over transgression for the remnant of his inheritance? When asking, who is a God like you, Micah focuses on how God is a forgiving God. It is true that the Lord would bring his people into devastating judgment. That's a reality Micah had to proclaim to God's people. First Israel and later Judah would go into exile because of their sins. Yet while God would show forth his justice, he would also show forth his mercy and his grace. The reason for judgment was to bring about repentance. It was to show his people that life without God is meaningless and empty. Through judgment, the Lord would restore his people to true covenant service. Yet God's wayward people still needed to have a way back into renewed relationship with the Lord. Their sin and rebellion had broken fellowship with him. At times we experience that in our human relationships as well. Someone does terrible things against you. What happens when someone steals from you? Or when they gossip about you? Or slander your good name? What happens if someone assaults you or abuses you? There's hurt. There's pain. Trauma. A loss of respect. There's anger, perhaps even bitterness. Can such a relationship be restored? And if so, how? Micah shows us there's a way back when we have offended God with our sins, when we've grieved or angered him. He shows us how wonderful God is. He asks, who is a God like you, pardoning iniquity and passing over transgression for the remnant of his inheritance? He does not retain his anger forever because he delights in steadfast love. God is able to pardon our iniquity. He's able to pass over our transgression. God forgives our sins. To forgive means to no longer hold them against us. To wipe the slate clean. God will not remain angry forever. The reason is because he delights in steadfast love. Consider the character of our God, beloved. He is not mean-spirited. He's not vindictive. He's not resentful or bitter. God does not hold on to all the wrong things we've done against him, looking for an opportunity to pay us back according to our sins. The Bible makes it clear that the Lord is merciful and gracious slow to anger, and abounding with steadfast love. How is that possible? 
How can God continue to look with mercy, with love and grace on sinful people like you and me? The answer is only in Jesus Christ. Forgiveness is only possible in our Savior. The cost of forgiveness is high. The price for our sins need to be paid. Isaiah 53 describes the sacrifice Christ made for us. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. 1 Peter 3.18 says, For Christ died for sins, once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. You see, beloved, our redemption was secured at a high cost. This was done not because we deserved anything, but only out of God's grace. God shows us his mercy. It is totally unmerited. We struggle to understand that. Our human nature finds that so hard to accept. We want to do something to make a contribution from our side. But we cannot. Forgiveness of our sins is completely a gift of God's grace. When Jesus taught us the Lord's Prayer, he taught us to pray for our Heavenly Father to forgive us our debts. It's a really necessary prayer. Something we need to pray day by day. For we are sinful people. Time and again we rebel against the Lord's commandments. We do what we want. We do it my way. Even though at times we fight valiantly against our sins, they still cling to us. I'm not saying that to make us depressed. I'm trying to underline how much we need God's grace. Praying the fifth petition is a daily necessity. Beloved, I also want to assure you that when you come before God with a humble heart, confessing your sins, He truly does forgive you. He pardons your iniquities. He wipes the slate clean. Micah uses two examples to make that point vividly. He says that God will tread our iniquities underfoot. God will trample our sins like one tramples weeds or crushes insects. The word used has a sense of crushing, of pulverizing, of reducing to powder. Treading underfoot is sometimes used of the nations. It means completely subduing them. God tramples our sins into the dust. He makes them of no account. He breaks their power. Michael also uses a second example to speak of how God forgives our sins. He says, you will cast all our sins into the depths of the sea. 
The depths of the sea are unfathomable. Once something sinks into the ocean deep, it's totally lost. The point is that God removes our sins so far from us, they can never come back on us. Think of the words of Psalm 103. As far as the east is from the west, as high as the heavens are above the earth. We have the tendency of coming back on other people's sins. The sins of others come back in our minds. They create negative emotions towards that person in our hearts. We keep harping on another's faults. But not so with God. When God forgives, our sins are removed. They're done away with. The matter is finished. Thus, we should not hesitate to approach the throne of grace in prayer. God is compassionate and merciful, full of steadfast love toward those who fear him. Jesus Christ is seated on the throne at God's right hand. He's there as our great high priest interceding for us. Christ understands our sins and struggles. He can sympathize with our weaknesses, for while he was on earth, he was tempted in every way, as we are. It's for his sake, because of his blood offered on the cross, that our Heavenly Father forgives our sins. Therefore, let us with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in our time of need. For God will show us his steadfast love. This brings us to our second point, And we'll see how in the fifth petition we are to pray for God to work in us softened hearts. In the days when Micah prophesied, the people disregarded most of what he had to say. God sent many more prophets to warn his people to call them to repentance and life. Hosea, Joel, Amos, Isaiah, and Jeremiah all spoke the, words, the Lord's words to his people during this time. But Israel and Judah did not really take their words to heart. They continued on in their sinful ways. That's why in the end, the Lord brought disaster upon them. First, Israel was taken into captivity by the Assyrians. Later, Judah was exiled by the Babylonians. The words of the prophets did not penetrate the hearts of God's people at that time. They thought that they were the covenant people of God, that God would bless them no matter what. When the prophets spoke of the coming exile, the people didn't believe them. They figured they had God's promises of being his people and of living in the promised land. They figured the Lord dwelt in the temple and that as a result, they were secure. They couldn't imagine Jerusalem being overrun or the temple being destroyed. The prophet Jeremiah came to them in the name of the Lord. He told them, do not trust these deceptive words. This is the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord. He told them, for if you truly amend your ways and your deeds, 
Then I will let you dwell in this place, in the land that I gave of old to your fathers forever. Yet the Lord warned that if they continued to harden their hearts, he would destroy the temple. He would allow his people to be taken into captivity. That takes us to our reading from Ezekiel 11. The context is that the Babylonians have come. They've taken Judah's king, along with several thousand of the leading citizens, into captivity. Ezekiel was also taken into exile with them. Yet the people who remained in Jerusalem still did not humble themselves before God. They baited the exile, saying, Go far from the Lord. To us this land is given for a possession. In response, the Lord speaks about how, although he has removed some of the people from the promised land and scattered them among the nations, nevertheless, he would be a sanctuary to them in the countries where they had gone. Then the Lord makes some wonderful promises. He promises to bring his people back to the land of Israel. But God makes even richer promises than that. He promises to give his people a new heart and a new spirit. The Lord says, I will give them an undivided heart and put a new spirit in them. I will remove from them their heart of stone and give them a heart of flesh that they may walk in my statutes and keep my rules and obey them. And they shall be my people and I will be their God. Beloved, for centuries, God's people, Israel, again and again, turned away from the Lord. They were stubborn and disobedient. They had hard hearts. They were often unwilling to submit themselves to the Lord and his ways. They thought they knew better, that they could serve God their own way. But through the exile, the Lord would work a mighty change in the hearts of his people. So that instead of presuming on God's mercy and faithfulness, they would learn to truly walk in communion with him. God promised to give them an undivided heart, focused on him. He promised to put a new spirit in them. When we pray the fifth petition, we need to pray for softened hearts. That God will work change in us. That he will help us recognize our sins and how much they grieve him. We're to pray that God will work a new spirit in us. A spirit that's truly sorry for how we offend God with our sins. Which seeks to serve him with our whole heart. Part of praying the fifth petition is to pray for the Holy Spirit to work in us. He's the only one who can soften hard hearts and open closed hearts. He's the only one who can make the will which was dead alive, which was unwilling willing, which was stubborn obedient. Beloved, we need heart change to help us turn from our sins and seek God's grace in Christ. Please note that in Micah's prophecy, God's blessing of forgiveness is not for all people. Micah asked, Who is a God like you, pardoning iniquity and passing over transgression for the remnant of his inheritance? It was to the remnant of his inheritance that God actually granted his grace. 
He pardoned their iniquities. He passed over their transgressions. Was it because they were better than the rest? No. Did they deserve forgiveness any more than their brothers and sisters who were exiled with them? Not at all. So why was the remnant forgiven? To whom does God promise his grace and spirit? Can we all accept, can we all expect to receive forgiveness of our sins from God? God's promises of forgiveness are for all those who turn to him with contrite hearts. They are for those who look to Jesus Christ for their salvation. It's when we recognize ourselves as wretched sinners that God, for the sake of Christ's blood, washes us and cleanses us. Can you see, beloved, the need for God to soften our hearts and put a new spirit in us? Without true repentance, we cannot share in the forgiveness of sins. This also applies in our relationship with one another. We not only sin against God, we often sin against each other. So often we put ourselves and our wants and desires first. And in the process, we hurt others because we don't consider the effects of our words and deeds on them. If our sins against each other are not dealt with, if they're ignored or shoved under the carpet, they'll only cause further hurt, frustration, mistrust, anger, and bitterness. For our sins against one another to be dealt with requires softened hearts. The person who has sinned needs to be able to recognize his or her sins, to be humble and seek forgiveness. The person who has been wronged also needs a softened heart in order to be able to truly forgive the person who has wronged us. Do you understand what that involves, beloved? When God forgives us our sins, he pardons us. He promises not to hold our sins against us anymore. In the same way, forgiving our neighbor means not to remember his sins against him anymore. That's not to say that we'll forget when someone has done terrible things against us. But we choose not to hold these sins against that person. Not to bear a grudge. Not to be bitter or angry or want to punish that person anymore. Is that easy? Absolutely not. That's why we pray the second part of the fifth petition, as we also have forgiven those who have sinned against us. Also, in this part of the fifth petition, we're praying for grace. For grace from God. We're asking God to work in our hearts, softening them, so that we are fully determined, wholeheartedly, to forgive our neighbor. We're praying for God to do a miracle in us, changing us, so we let go of the hurts and pain 
the anger and the bitterness caused by other sins. Thus, we see how necessary it is to pray for God to work in us softened hearts. We need soft hearts to repent of our own sins. And we need soft hearts to forgive those who have sinned against us. This brings us to our final point. And we'll see how in the fifth petition we pray for God to bless us with restored relationships. The goal of the fifth petition is that we may live in close communion with God and our neighbor. We pray, Father, forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. We pray for the forgiveness of our sins to be restored in our relationship with God. To have our debts cancelled so we can be reconciled with Him. We also pray for grace to forgive our neighbor so that we may have our strained or broken relationship restored, that we may live in harmony with those around us. As Christians, we are the most blessed people in the world. We are forgiven so much. May God soften our hearts so that we are also a blessing to others by being among the most forgiving. God's grace to us and in us lays the foundation for forgiveness. May that grace be multiplied, that we may experience the results of forgiveness, so we may experience peace with God and our fellow man, so that we may live together in love and unity, in our marriages, our families, our church, and community. In and of ourselves, we can never attain this, but by God's grace and spirit, we can. Amen.